electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome everybody live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square. This is Fast Money, and here's what's on tap tonight. Monster market moves, the Dow topping 37,000 for the first time ever. S&P getting within 2% of a record and the 10-year at levels not seen since the summertime, August to be precise. All this thanks to Jerome Powell. How the Fed chair got stocks surging, and can they keep their momentum in the new year? We will debate that. Plus, bad medicine shares of Pfizer plunging to more than 10-year lows. The headlines sinking the stock and what one of our traders is doing with their shares right now. And later, crafting concerns. Etsy, the latest name to cut jobs. Why the market wasn't buying in on the announcement. In from Alyssa Lee, I'm Tyler Matheson. Welcome, everybody. Coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Carter Worth, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami. Don't let me fail here. Keep covering my back, will you? <laughs> keep, me, keep me propped up. Always. All right. Historic close on Wall Street today. All kinds of records, uh, both all time and for the year, the past 52 weeks. The Dow rallying more than 500 points. It was flat at 2 o'clock, folks. 500 points at the close, higher, closing above 37,000 for the first time ever. NASDAQ, uh, S&P 500, NASDAQ also up more than a percent. The moves coming after Fed Chief Jerome Powell signaled multiple rate cuts are on tap for next year. That news sent the benchmark 10-year Treasury yield tumbling to within a basis point of a three-handle, 4.016, rates now at their lowest since mid-August. And check out the moves in some of the uh, most rate-sensitive market groups, regional banks, big banks, home construction, and Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF, all outpacing the broader market with gains of almost 6% in the case of regional banks and ARK Innovation, nearly 4%. CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman covering the big Fed developments in Washington. Steve, put it into context for us. Well, after an aggressive campaign of hiking rates, the Federal Reserve pivoted today, strongly indicating its sharp rate hiking campaign had come to an end, forecasting rate cuts next year that were, I'd say, more aggressive than the market had anticipated to come from the committee. Here's what we saw today. The result was to significantly boost the probabilities of a rate cut as soon as March to near 80 percent from 46 percent before the meeting. What happened? What changed today? Well, the Fed acknowledged inflation progress. Indeed, this pivot comes after wholesale prices this morning surprised to the downside and previously inflation expectations also surprised. Powell said the committee discussed rate cuts at the meeting today and the average forecast of a Fed official is now 80 basis points lower next year than the current rate of 538. All of this surrounded, however, by caveats from Powell and the Fed and the Fed. Inflation has to keep coming down and stay down. The job market has to continue to loosen up and economic growth moderate as well. But the market sees the threat lifted of additional hikes and the chance lessen that the Fed's going to make a mistake and plunge the economy into recession by staying too high for too long. And from the give them an inch, they'll take a mild department. The market already pricing in more cuts next year than the Fed is forecasting, 150 basis points. If you look at the January 2025 contract, which encompasses all of 2024, 
almost double, Tyler, what the Fed is forecasting. Often, Steve, it seems to me that that the chairman uses the press conference to either walk back or soften or adjust or tweak what has been said in the statement, what what the market is interpreting. I didn't sense that today at all. No, he furthered it. And I think what two things happened is my suspicion here. The first is that the economic data put him in a position where he could not hold the line. I actually, Tyler, expected him to hold the line and deliver this press conference more in January after another month of data. Mm. I think that was one. I think the other thing is, if you look at the forecast, I think he risks losing his committee on this one. There's five officials that have 100 basis points of rate cuts built in. Um, there were officials uh, in, previ- in the previous forecast, uh, Tyler, that were over 6%. Nobody's over the current rate for next year now. So mm-hmm. um, the, the committee itself turned dovish, and I think that's because the data, I think, inexorably, because of math and because of what's happening in the economy, the inflation data, I believe, is headed down. The Fed acknowledged that today. Uh, Powell could not defend, I believe, a more hawkish position any longer. I felt in a funny way that I was listening to either Nick Saban, the coach of Alabama, or Brian Dayball, the coach of the Giants, after a win, where he's saying, hey, we're making good progress. We're doing well. We played a good game here, but we've got more work to do. There's still more work to do. There are some things we need to clean up on inflation. Did you hear that? Well, I mean, it depends on if you think the Fed is five and eight like the New York Giants. That's another <laughs> that's another issue. Um, you know, and maybe it is given its uh, forecasting record, uh, but it's had a couple wins in a row. In fact, we were talking uh, before, uh, Tyler, that a lot of what the Fed forecast this year in terms of inflation, in terms of growth, uh, in terms of the funds rate actually came to pass. So it wasn't a bad year for the Fed forecasting. Um, and, and I do think that's right. They do have more work to do. They know it. But he couldn't defend the harshest, most hawkish position of this idea that, way, hey, we're about to hike rates again or we could be hiking rates. They took away that bias to hike. I, I would say right now they're in neutral with a forecast to cut if everything comes into line. That's the forecast right now. But it has to be underscored and supported by the data. All right, Steve, thanks very much. Steve Leisman reporting. Dan, let's trade this. Uh, what should I do? Uh, how do you interpret what the Fed has done and said? You know, it was really interesting. I was watching Jeffrey Gunlock at Double Line Capital on with Scott Wapner right after the Fed presser was done, and he kind of kind of stuck to his gun. So if Mel was here, and we're very, very happy to have you here, Tyler. <laughs> if Mel, but was, if here, Mel was here, she would have looked would over to her left to Guy and myself, and she would have asked some very pointed questions. You're being very nice. I've been very wrong about the stock market this year, at least as a monolith, a term that Karen likes to use, because I think back to a year ago today, in the end of 2022, on December 13th, which is also T. Swizzle's birthday. You know that. Oh, I know you know yes, that. Of course. Okay, so shout out to Taylor. We know she's watching right huge now, fan right? Of the yeah, show. She's a huge fan of the show. But I would say this, okay, the S&P 500 was at 3,800. It closed at 4,700 today. You know where the 10 year yield was? It was 3.5%. You know where the 10 year yield closed today? Four. At 4.01%. So there's something out of whack, okay? And Jeff Gunlock also said this, and I thought this was really interesting. Stocks need bonds. But bonds don't need stocks, and that's going to be a story of next year. And that's why I'm sticking to my that's why I'm sticking to my guns here, Mel. Well, what he's saying is, okay, that like you know, bonds this year did a thing based on what the Fed had said they're going to do, right? And as soon as they went from five percent to four percent, it was liftoff for the stock market, right? The flip side might be true next year once the Fed has kind of given up on what they think they needed to do. That bonds might continue to do something. He also said that he thinks that when they start cutting, and this is something that guy. 
Jedi has said quite frequently that they're going to actually have to get a lot more aggressive, and that won't be favorable to stocks because the reasons that they're going to need to cut will not be supportive of risk assets. Karen. Well, a couple things. We talked about that comparing that bond rate. That was, though, when they were just starting to begin a hike. Uh, not aggressive. last year. That's- no, 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 no. Last year? I mean, like, think about it. No, I mean, like, the the, the two-year was higher. It was 4.5% or something like that. I mean, at some point, at the end of last year, rate cuts were... But the 10-year was going into a hiking cycle. Now we are like, the hiking cycle is over. They've told us it's over. Um, So I think that's different. But, um, I mean, what a crazy broad rally, which is good. I mean, we've been wanting a broad rally because as that Magnificent Seven just was higher and higher, there was more risk there. And so they had a very, eh, not great day, certainly underperforming. So I like seeing it broaden out. I have been uh, uh, bearish bonds lately, so that, that didn't work today. But um, I, I don't know. It feels like this reaction was a little bit heavy because I think this expectation is what's been pulling the market up for the last two, two months or so. Heavy in the sense it was over, over, uh, o- the, overstated? Yes, overstated yes, yes, yes. Re- re- reaction. Right. Guy? Well, I mean, we've talked about for the last few weeks how there's seemingly four, if not five, rate cuts priced into the market for next year. So they basically came out and, and I think just sort of galvanized those thoughts, but the market, for whatever reason, sort of jumped on that and took it to the next level. So today was a remarkable day. When you see an 18 basis point move in 10-year yields on the back of what's been a 75 basis point move from 5% down to four and a quarter, you have to take notice. I mean, stocks seemingly across the board love this. But, you know, I'll say this. Great stock market. You know, maybe the Fed is threading this needle. But right now, there are, I think, 45 million people in this country. It's no longer called food stamps. It's called the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. That doesn't speak of some great economy. And 62% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That's not me making numbers up. That's coming right from the government statistics. So stock market saying one thing. Economy saying something entirely different. And, oh, by the way, I think the Fed even acknowledges the lag effects haven't kicked in in terms of the rate hikes to this point. So we'll see how it plays itself out. Yeah, well, we'll talk a little more about the economy with our next guest, Joe Lavorne, in just a moment. But, Carter, let, let me let you button off this conversation and sure. in terms of, of maybe how should I interpret what the Fed has done and said and, and put it to work in my portfolio? Right. Well, one thing, maybe an anecdote that's worthwhile, the consensus among my clients, uh, right, which range from long short to long only, could be big pension plans or just small hedge funds, um, that it's all about rates, and we know this, so that's not elemental, and that's not new, but it's all about five to three and a half. All good, Goldilocks. We go below three and a half, and then we have a problem, because it means that really something is wrong on Main Street. So maybe this is the Goldilocks, maybe we get a little higher, but ultimately, I think we're going down below three and a half percent, and then the stock market will um, wake up. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So, so what should I do now? Do I I play this this rally as as though it's going to continue for the next five months? I think there's plenty of sectors that actually when rates were going higher, to Karen's point, when you went into this year, right? And and a lot of people, I think this is really important to kind of remember, too, that rate hikes were priced into this year, right? And they all got pushed out, right? And so that was one of the reasons why I think most folks did not see the labor market being as strong as it was, the economy printing over 2%, right? Like last year at this time, uh, a recession was priced into most risk assets. So that's the thing that kept on getting 
pushed out. People were not positioned that way. So it was a chase all year long. And that move from 4% to 5% in the 10-year, it was quick, people. The fact that we're talking about 5% in the 10-year, it wasn't there long. It wasn't above 4.5% long. You know what I mean? So that just got a lot of things, risk models, I think, out of whack a little bit. And we might see that's what the, a blow-off feels like right now is kind of the reversal of something like right, that. Right, and also because when it was at 5%, all of a sudden it's all about recency. Everyone's saying higher for longer, it's going to be 5.5. Five. And, of course, it wasn't. It was the exact opposite. We, is now there, time for small caps or not? I think so. Um, I mean, I've thought so for a little while as we kept seeing the Magnificent Seven, and those just didn't move at all. Now, I mean, this move today in an index, this I mean, that is an enormous move. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's gone crazy to the upside. I think the disparity between where, you know, the Magnificent Seven um, was trading and the, the small caps is so large that there's still room to go. So uh, I'm long the IWM, staying long. Didn't add any here, but staying long. All righty. Let's, uh, let's pause here and move forward uh, with the Fed's path ahead. And to do that, we're going to bring in Joe Lavornia, chief economist at SMBC Nico Securities. Joe, good as always to see you. Uh, what is Thank the you. path forward for the Fed here? I mean, as, as Steve pointed out, five members of the board see great cuts next year of 100 uh, basis points or more, uh, coming down to 4.6 percent from 5.1 percent or maybe lower. What do you see happening? Steve, I love the fact, and Steve, I like what Steve said, uh, Tyler. Uh, I love the fact that directionally the Fed is on the right path. They've got to lower rates, but they do not have enough rate cuts built into their forecast, in my opinion. Uh, I believe the Fed will go at least 150 next year. It needs to go a minimum of 250 basis points between now and the next 24 months. They need to do this or what happens? Or what happens. you will have a hard, you will have a much harder landing because that deep curve inversion, Tyler, is causing a potential credit crunch. You're seeing banks pull back significantly on providing credit. You're seeing the senior loan officer showing significant tightening of standards. It's a very slow burn. But the longer it happens where that curve remains inverted and we're approaching now all time records, uh, to me, that will make the ultimate downturn worse if the Fed doesn't try to normalize that curve. There's some wisdom of crowds built into the long end of the Treasury market. And and you've been a believer, uh, uh, it hasn't happened yet, that we were going to have a recession this year, right? That's correct. That's right. And so so you still believe it's just a matter of timing before it comes. That's right. And the Treasury market, uh, we avoided one last spring when the Fed added $400 billion in liquidity around the regional banking crisis. Uh, but here again now, the market is pricing even more cuts now than they were 12 months from where we were this past March. And I do believe the bond market eventually will be right, which means the equity market is wrong. Uh, because the amount of easing the Fed needs to do to normalize the curve is not consistent with a soft landing. So I think the bond market is correct and the equity market is wrong, meaning the equity market will need to retrace its run up. Whether we go back to 33 or 3400 S&P remains to be seen, but I do look for a weaker equity market in 24 based on a hard landing. Karen. Hey Joe, it's Karen. So where do you think the the Fed wants the real rates to be? And I'm that- of the view, Karen, that the real equilibrium rate is a bit lower than what the Fed currently believes because productivity is soft, demographics are poor, and debt levels are high. So if the real equilibrium rate is closer to zero, maybe it's 50 basis points, it's sort of like pre-COVID type readings, then the funds rate really should not be much above two, two and a quarter. 
uh, in that scenario. So rates have a, potentially have a long way lower to go. So you, you mentioned um, the inversion. So this is, I think, historical in terms of the duration. And you go back and look, typically the longer the inversion, the more severe the downturn. But somehow people think for whatever reason it's different this time. Why would it be different uh, or could it be worse than people are expecting? It could definitely be worse than people are expecting. I don't look for a deep recession because I do believe the Fed will be cutting more than they are saying. In 2008, we had this debate in the spring. People thought we had avoided a recession. It wasn't even a deep inversion. And it turned out we wound up having a very deep and long recession. We don't know what the recession will look like. It hasn't started. And when you get into recessions, unfortunately, bad things can happen. And we could find leverage in places we didn't know existed. When that unemployment rate goes up and all of a sudden that leads to defaults, that could cause a cascading effect in other markets. So we just don't know. But yes, I do believe that the deep inversion, which, by the way, Guy, the record is 20 months. So that'll take us to February. So we're not past the record. But I do believe the Fed could avoid a deep recession and a hard landing if they were to cut rates aggressively, because most of inflation, most of the decline in inflation has, is transitory. This period, to me, looks much more like the 1940s than it does the 1970s. I think the Fed has made a major mistake in raising rates as far and as fast as they have. Hey, Joe, so you were in the White House four years ago, right? And I suspect you'd like to get back there. And when you think about this as we head into 2024, you know, if you were in the White House and you were talking to this administration, what, what would you what, what would how would you change the narrative, um, if you will? Because obviously the president is not doing particularly well as it relates to his marks in polling on the economy and the like. What would be your advice? Because the stock market is saying something. The economy is hanging in there. I listen to that presser. They seem to be pretty happy with what's going on in the job market and, and and the way inflation is going and the like. I'm just curious, where's the disconnect there? Because, like, and what sort of advice would you be giving right now? The, uh, the, the, to me, the reason consumer sentiment is so poor, and Guy was talking about people living paycheck to paycheck. I believe it was a CNBC uh, analysis that came out a year or so ago that said people have something like $400 of, of excess savings effectively in their account. Um, they're looking at the price level. The level of prices is still significantly higher today than it was three and a half years ago, even though the growth rate's low and the price level is high. And unfortunately for many households, their real wages, their standard of living cumulatively, although it's getting better recently, cumulatively uh, has been pretty poor. It's been negative over the last three years. Uh, there's no getting around that. I'm not sure the administration would want my advice. I'd be happy to give it. But I would focus on supply-driven incentives to work with the private sector to create the better outcomes that we'd like. Unfortunately, and maybe the, I'm biased, I don't want to be, I don't have seen the administration doing the things that I'd like them to do. So therefore, them, I don't expect a phone call. All right, Joe. All right, Joe, thank you very much for that. You know, I, I, I think it was thank very you. interesting. You, you both sort of hit on it. There was a lot in the, in the press conference today of, of the chair cheering the fact that inflation has slowed. Uh, the idea that the economy and the labor market are strong, um, ba basically strong. The economy may slow next year, so, that, so is their forecast, but not into a recessionary level. But you both made the point that, that people don't seem to feel like the economy and the market is at a record. Yeah. People do not seem to feel as though the economy is in a good place. And certainly the administration is getting no credit for what it has been, by some measures, a pretty good stretch for the markets, for the, for the job market, and now, indeed, for inflation coming down. Well, I'm not saying they're, they're doing a victory dance today, but 
No. In, tr- in combating the inflation that the Federal Reserve begged for for years, they needed to do certain things, which hurt the majority of the people in this country in ways that we can measure, we pointed out. So the disconnect is the last couple of years have been very difficult for people without question. They look and say, how can the stock market be where it is when we know inflation is a problem? The cumulative effect of inflation is there for everybody to see. Inflation isn't going down. It's going up less fast, which is not nuanced. It's just the math. Which is what Lavornia said and what what Powell actually said today, Super Powell. Uh, What what he actually said today was it it, the rate of price growth has slowed, but prices still remain high. They have the the bottle of detergent that now costs me sixteen dollars. Uh, is still costing me $16. It's not as though that bottle, Carter, has come back down to where it was four years ago. I mean, ago. one of the biggest issues, has the Fed, imputing to the Fed some insight that's beyond the mere mortal. They get out of bed in the morning, put their shoes on. They're, they've never been ahead. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the truth, right? Mm-hmm. They've always been behind. It turns out they were saying inflation was transient. It wasn't. Now they're saying they're sticking to their things. It's probably coming down faster than they thought. Um, there is no great insight there. It's not about these individuals. It's just that that insight doesn't exist. And so the question is, are they behind yet again? And the presumption is yes. Yes. All right, guys, ladies, thank you very much. Coming up, we are watching shares of Adobe after hours. Keep your eye on that one. That stock on the move and lower by a lot after reporting results. The numbers uh, from that quarter next. Look at that decline there. 38 points, nearly uh, well more than 6%. Plus, an e-commerce cut. Shares of Etsy dropping after a big layoff announcement. The red flag they are raising when Fast Money returns in two minutes. You're watching Fast Money here on CNBC. We'll be right back. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We have an earnings alert for you. Um, Adobe uh, beating on the top and bottom line uh, expectations, but shares are dropping and how on weak guidance. Pippa Stevens has more on the quarter. Pippa. Hey, Tyler. Well, Adobe shares are tumbling after the company set a cautious tone for 2024, saying they expect full year revenue to be between 21.3 and 21.5 billion while the street was looking for $21.7 billion. Now, when it comes to EPS, Q1 guide is ahead of estimates, but for the full year, it's basically below consensus. Now, during the fourth quarter, the company's revenue did top $5 billion for the first time, and its key net new digital media annualized recurring revenue came in ahead of forecasts. On the call just now, executives talking up the opportunities surrounding AI and generative AI, 
calling it a generational opportunity to offer new products and solutions to an ever-expanding set of customers. Adobe also disclosed in a filing that the FTC is probing its subscription cancellation practices. And Tyler, that stock down 6%. Back to you. All right. Thank you, Pippa. And speaking of Adobe, uh, Jim is chatting exclusively with Adobe's CEO tonight uh, on uh, Mad Money. Catch that full interview at the top of the hour on Mad. Let's trade Adobe now, Dan. Yeah, I mean, listen, 24% run in the last six weeks into the print, um, trading at 35 times as a company expected to grow earnings and sales, you know, 12, 13% this coming fiscal year. So, you know, it really depends on valuation. I'm actually surprised it's down this much. I didn't think the guide was that meaningful, like, as far as on the, on the red home front. Yeah. No, I, I just didn't. See, is it this? I, I don't, I can't imagine. Like, think about all these regulatory headlines, Karen, that we get every day against all these big tech companies. They don't really move the stocks that much. And, you know, so when I think about this, if I'm this CEO and I'm this, this management in general heading into a year that we know that enterprise spending might get a little tougher and costs might be a little higher as you spend on the generative AI stuff or whatever. Why not set a lower bar? Do you want this thing to be just overshot? You know, just real quickly, Broadcom did this last week, too. And the stock was like unchanged. We're looking at it. and We're like, eh. and then it goes up 20 percent in a straight line in the next three days. And it just tells you where investor sentiment is. So I think the company is probably doing the right thing, especially if they have poor visibility right now. Carter. It's such a, a testament to um, underperforming on the way down and still underperforming on the way back up, meaning the Nasdaq 100 dropped 37% from its peak. This dropped 62%. It's still underperforming other key marquee tech-like names, and today's news doesn't help their cause. Yeah. All right. There's a lot more fast to come. We're going to take a break now, and here is what's coming up next. Job cuts at Etsy, the e-commerce company slashing its workforce at the height of the holiday season, their plans for restructuring, and why they're sending shares lower today. Plus, we're chatting chips, the group beating the broad market in a big way recently. But the technicals could be saying there's still a power play in store for the space. The Chartmaster makes his bull case. Next, you're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's talk more uh, individual stocks. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Etsy drooping after the company announced plans to lay off 11% of its workforce. That is about 225 employees. CEO Josh Silverman saying a, quote, very challenging macro and competitive environment prompted those cuts. Etsy falling as much as 8.5%. 
It closed down about 2%, so it blunted some of that decline. Uh, the news, just the latest in a string of end-of-year layoffs and restructurings. Hasbro earlier this week saying it will cut over 1,000 jobs. Spotify, Amazon, City also shrinking their workforces. What is that telling you, Karen? Well, I am long Etsy. It's it's up way off the bottom, but this wasn't great news. I don't think it was the layoff so much because I think they could probably gain productivity. It was the chief marketing officer. When you lay off your chief marketing officer, something's going wrong in marketing, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't love that. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a good day to have a bad release, yeah. Um, right? Yeah. So the market sort of saved them from that. I love the the asset light platform. They don't have any inventory. They don't, all they do is get fees. And so I love, the, I love that about them. I don't know if this is a commentary on the consumer at all. I think this is, unfortunately, a little bit of a commentary on Etsy. On Etsy as yes. opposed to so a, they a, need a broader a, statement. But right. it doesn't shake your long-term thesis behind the stock. Really. No, no, no. It wouldn't be a Thoughts? sell-off. It was a $60 stock when it reported in November, rallied to where we are now. So the sell-off... I guess to a certain extent makes sense, but it's part of this narrative that we've been hearing about now. Spotify laid off a bunch of people, I think it was a week and a half, two weeks ago. They overhired, they acknowledged they did so, so you can understand that. But when you have more and more of these verticals, Hasbro yesterday, over the last couple of months, a swath of different verticals laying people off. That is a trend, and it's for a myriad of different reasons. We hired too many people during COVID. We don't see the demand. Uh, you know, in terms of going forward, we're concerned about the macro environment. These things all lend itself to what Joe Lavorna was talking about earlier. So the stock market today says one thing, but all these companies and their hiring practices say something entirely yeah, different. Yeah, about the, about, the, about the economy as opposed to the market, mm -hmm. right? But in the case of Etsy, like it was a $300 stock. That's one of the great high flyers in the 2021 oh, yeah. run-up. Here we are at 83. I mean, you, you like it long for ultimately getting back to levels like that? or No, or no, just, it doesn't need to be a, remotely close. Just, right. just to make some money, right? Yeah. All righty. Coming up, uh, are the chips set to rip again? The chart master here to make his case for semi-stocks and how they stack up against the broader market. Plus, we're down to the wire for holiday shop. I haven't even started by holiday shop. We're down to the wire. I know. Oh. I'm feeling we got time. Every how day the, I feel like we got how time. the shippers are set to handle, set up to handle all the last minute delivery needs, including mine. Uh, which stocks are in prime position? Don't go anywhere. We got more fast money coming at you quicker than a FedEx truck. <laughs> Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Stocks surging after the Fed indicated rate cuts are coming in 2024. The Dow surpassing 37,000 for the first time ever. There you see it in graphic terms. The S&P and NASDAQ both jumping about 1.3%, 52-week highs on those indexes. Shares of Netflix up nearly 4% today and notching its highest close of the year. The stock up more than 62% in 2023. Tesla starting the session lower before a Ultimately climbing back, lifted by the market, I guess. The EV maker recalling nearly all two million of its cars in the U.S. because of an autopilot software fix that needs to be made. It comes after a two-year investigation by regulators into a series of crashes. Guy, let's start with you and Netflix. What do you think? Well, there? we got this beautiful new graphics package, only surpassed by your genius. I mean, <laughs> you could put up, there could be no graphics. If you're on the screen, just, it's must-watch television. Just must-see TV. Just saying. That's right. 
Some people need graphics. I happen yeah. to be one. I, I like the, the graphics. A nice, good AARP-sized type for me, <laughs> man. Precisely. But if we could throw up a chart in Netflix and go back to the all-time high, I think it was October of 2021, and you see that low that we saw, I think, what, $180 or so, Dan, in early 2022. I mean, the level we've gotten ourselves back to is a 50% retracement of that entire move. Carter can speak to this. It went from very expensive stock to a very cheap stock. Now it's somewhere in the middle of 30 times next year's numbers, which is probably a historic norm. Big day today. It's Netflix world. But this is one of those things you have to take a real close look about this run. I think you get a back and fill from these levels. Very interesting. Netflix. All right, let's move on to semiconductors. Uh, the ETF SMH jumping more than 8% in the past week, more than doubling the performance of the broad market. Chartmaster thinks the chip's outperformance could continue even further. Carter. Right. So actually, what is interestingly, despite the recent outperformance, they've been major laggards compared to the QQQ, the tech sector and so forth. So from mid-June to mid-December, six months later, semis have lagged key things like the XLK and the QQQ. Um, Let's look at a few charts and uh, try to discern the way forward together. Uh, This is going to be the SMH and there are no lines, no drawings, no annotations. Let's put some on. One way to draw the lines you'll see in the second uh, iteration would be as follows, that this is a major sort of head and shoulders bottom that ultimately breaks out. Another way to draw the lines, same chart, same time frame, would be, and many people refer to this as a cup and handle. It doesn't matter what you call it, it's a setup for higher. And then the third and final way on this particular chart, um, if you look at that annotation there, we, are, we broke out, we fell back, and then we reassert ourselves. Let's keep that and then look at the very long-term chart. Um, and what we know is, and this is a relative chart, Semi's relative performance peaked in 1995. Hmm. We have so much room to catch up. So you're looking at a ratio chart, one thing divided by another, which depicts relative strength, which is what alpha is all about. It's not about your absolute returns. It's did you beat your benchmark or your mandate. Semi's here compared to the Qs, or look at semi's compared to uh, the tech sector, XLK. Um, again, peaking in 1994, 1995. And semi's still haven't recouped all their relative losses to the S&P since the dot-com peak. But moving in the right direction, so to speak. That's it. Moving in the right direction. Carter, um, so we know that obviously NVIDIA is 20% of the SMH, right? Taiwan Semi is right behind it. We've seen AMD, Intel have these really big moves over the last couple months. And they seem fundamental, you know, and maybe it's playing the laggards a little bit. How do you think about that notion of playing the laggards? Like a Texas Instruments or global foundries that, you know, have not performed particularly well. But if the semis are saying something about what the environment might be like in 2024, do you want to play some laggards like that? I think it's it's twofold. But to your point about it's a breath issue, right? NVIDIA is being such a big weight, and yet NVIDIA is underperforming, or said differently, the SOX is outperforming without the help of its key player, which is a testament to relative strength and a broadening out of strength in the space. I think you find laggards like an Intel, which is still well off its highs, as well as playing a leader or two. Maybe it's you, Karen, but who has a thought as to why these stocks would have underperformed those, those broader benchmarks over such a long period of time? Why would it be that it was all the way back to 1995. What if you made a much smaller, I don't know if that, that was a, just a terrible period for a long, long time. What if you made a much smaller Oh, sure. Look? So it all depends where you start right. your narrative, your storyline, sure. But I, I have one other question for you. If, if the relative, you think the relative outperformance will come, how do you decide if it's because the market will go down and it will go down less? Or something sure. other well, than that's that. That's the nifty thing about a ratio. You've got to figure <laughs> out which part of the equation is, or, or it's a little bit of both. Uh, but, but the key here is that the reason why their outperformance was so incredible, and it 
peaked in 99-2000 to the S&P is because in the dot-com era, semis actually outperformed the, the NASDAQ, right? So that their mm-hmm. outperformance was so excessive that we still have yet to recoup that excess in terms of uh, underperformance. All right, interesting conversation there. Coming up, the shipping wars are in full swing this holiday season. FedEx and UPS going head-to-head to get those gifts delivered on time. We'll get you the latest from the front lines after this. Plus, Pfizer, Pfizer, plunking its earnings test before the bell. The pharma giant today hitting its lowest level in 10 years after a big warning. What sent the street running away? That's next. Welcome back to uh, Fast Money. What a day it was. The Dow closing at an all-time high after today's Fed decision, and shoppers are getting ready to spend. The clock ticking on last-minute holiday shopping, though. Uh, One logistics company saying today is the cutoff for online shoppers hoping to get those gifts in time for Christmas. Today is the day. Courtney Reagan at a shipping facility now with more. Hey, Court. Hi there, Tyler. So you may not be familiar with ShipBob, but chances are you've probably had a digital order fulfilled by them. This is one of 50 plus fulfillment centers in its network. The third party logistics company works with over thousands of brands, including big guys like Lowe's, Macy's, Ulta, but also marketplaces and social media sellers. And ShipBob says that today is the cutoff. It is the last day for the lowest price delivery option in time for Christmas. It is expected to be the company's last big day for orders. We are definitely surprised on the upside because going into the peak season, I think we were all sort of looking at the forecast and making sure that our brands are able to continue to drive sales. And so that has happened, uh, which is awesome for us and for the broader economy. Deadlines for the most affordable domestic shipping options from all the major shippers, including FedEx, DHL, UPS, USPS, they're all this week. Orders placed after today might still get to shoppers before the holiday, but it may end up costing you more. So you've got retailers like Walmart, Target, Best Buy. They're using these cutoff times to push their fulfillment options from stores like buy online, pick up and store, even through the early evening hours of Christmas Eve. And Amazon has also added a shipping in time for Christmas search option to make it even easier. And remember, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. So that also sort of throws off the shipping options when you factor in those weekend days. Back over to you guys. So are you telling me, Court, if I need, if I really, really, really want something to be delivered by Christmas time, I've got to put in the order tonight? Or not necessarily. Yeah, for a lot of retailers, for a lot of retailers, yes, there is going to be some margin of error, but it also depends on where the order is coming from, where it's going to. And so in order to make sure that it can hit all of those distances, including the longest one in time for Christmas and accounting for those weekend days, your safest bet is tonight for a lot of sites. Okay. Maybe tomorrow. USPS has the longest if you're going to go to the post office yourself and mail it. But, you know. I got my work cut out for me tonight. I know what I'm going to be doing. Courtney, thank you. Appreciate it. FedEx has been the clear winner in the delivery uh, wars so far this year. Shares are up nearly 60 percent, far outperforming uh, UPS, which is down more than 10 percent. They have their own issues. Carter, what do you think? Well, one thing to note, since we're talking about the Dow making all-time highs, Dow theory would require the transports to also do that. Now, in the weighting of the Dow, of course, FedEx is twice the weight of UPS, and yet UPS's market cap is twice that of FedEx. Hmm. It's just the curious nature of the index. But uh, at at this point, uh, I would still stick with the winner. FedEx is the better setup. 
Guy? FedEx, Karen can speak to this. I mean, it trades at a trough multiple to UPS, to the broader market, probably to itself. You have the EPS growth to back it up. The trials and tribulations in the stock, if you go longer term than we have on, you'll see. I mean, it's been pretty remarkable. But they report on the 19th, which I believe is Tuesday. This stock can and should run to the highs that we saw in the spring of 2021, which should take us slightly above 300. So I actually think you can stay with it in earnings next week. Karen, any thought here? Yeah, well, so UPS has struggled. Remember, UPS faced a strike Strike. early this summer. And so what happened was a lot of their customers said, I got to diversify. I don't know if you're going to get on be on strike or not. I got to move my business elsewhere, partially at least. And that would obviously be to, to FedEx. So they were the beneficiary of that. It's been slower than I thought to come back. I think over time it will. The differential between the two um, has very narrow. So uh, I'm on UPS. Dan, FedEx, UPS, neither. I, I just wonder, Guy, when you and Charles Dow came up with the Dow, <laughs> the, the, the transport theory, were you guys anticipating this kind of holiday rush as it might happen with some of these big transports? It's funny, we used, to, we used to have, like, you know, by candlelight with the, yeah. with the feathered pen, and we yeah. wrote it all down. Yeah. 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 Cool but, and Carter still quotes was, it, which I, is amazing. I was a young scribe. Just yeah, yeah. Was a young scribe. <laughs> Bartleby the Scrivener. Remember that one? Yeah. I don't know what we were talking about back then. That's a lot of scotch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. And the quill pen. <laughs> All right, coming up, folks, pops and drops. Why Pfizer did take part in today's record-breaking rally and why the letter X powered is powered higher. And no, we're not talking about the company formerly known as Twitter. Those details and the trade next on Fast Money. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pfizer shares tumbling to a 10-year low today after delivering disappointing guidance before the bell. The pharma company saying revenue and profit will fall well below analyst expectations for 2024 as demand for its COVID products. Remember how much excitement surrounded Pfizer a couple of years ago uh, as demand for those products weakens. Pfizer also raising its cost-cutting target to $4 billion. Karen, you've made some moves in that name. Well, yeah, I mean, it's made some bad moves over to be in it. But uh, today, I mean, with this news, it's more expensive today than it was yesterday, I think. This was very disappointing news. Uh, I mean, they did talk about they want to maintain and grow the dividend, which is north of 6% now, which is kind of crazy that Pfizer would have a dividend that size. But that would happen when your stock gets hit that much. So for me, I really hated this announcement. I sold whatever I had that was short term, take the loss, revisit it in 30 days and decide... We'll see where it is, but do I want to get back in then? But terribly disappointing. And one thing, you know, it, it, it went to its COVID low, and it closed absolutely on the high. Volume expanded. I think you're gonna, that's going to set the low. That's my guess. All right. Interesting. Well, if right. I sold, yes. That. <laughs> if you sold, that would set the low. For right? sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. uh, meanwhile, U.S. Steel shares topping the tape after sources told our David Faber that the industrial company has received five now takeover bids, including an offer from Cleveland Cliffs that would value the stock at 40 a share. That's almost 10 percent above yesterday's close. Guy on steel. There are five participants. I, I appreciate Man that of maybe steel. years ago. But ArcelorMittal is probably in the mix as well. Well, it gets done probably north of 45. So Karen can speak to risk arb and all the reasons why the stock isn't trading there. But there should be another couple chapters left in this in terms of the stock price. So it's had a big run. I think there's more to go on the upside in terms of where this finalizes the you deal price. You think the deal finally gets done somewhere in the 45 area? Is that mm-hmm. what I just heard you say? Let's, 
I'll fast fire me when it doesn't happen, but yeah, I think closer to 45 than 40. Karen? Well, it's good when you have multiple bidders. That's always mm-hmm. a good thing. However, we're in a different antitrust environment than we used to be in, so some of those bidders might not be viable as, mm-hmm. you know, able to get the deal to cross the finish line. I don't own it. I do love Riscar, but sitting this one out. Yep. What does it say that it was a $200 stock, mm-hmm. not but a few years ago, and it's going to get bought out at 40 or 45 Same thing with Macy's. It was 75 and they're talking about taking it out at 20 uh, Bad assets are bad assets. You you can say that again. (laughs) All right, up next, folks, we're going to do some final trades. Bring it across the finish line. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Let's give it another check. You can't have too many checks of a market on a day like this. Big, big rally. Stocks surging after the Fed indicated that rate cuts are coming in 2024. The Dow surpassing, closing above 37,000 for the first time ever, 37,090. The S&P and NASDAQ both jumping about 1.3%. It has been quite a rally, Karen, since, what, October? Yes. I mean, it's a whole different world where we were. Rates, What happens tomorrow? What happens tomorrow? I don't know. Do you see the script for tomorrow? I don't know. I don't know what we've got. I thought this was quite a rally. Yeah. I was thinking maybe we'd run out of steam. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe it might. <laughs> who would like to jump in? Well, I mean, this was, De- I think it was December. Dan can answer this one. December 21st, 2021, I think the S&P made an all-time high. And we're probably within maybe less now than 100 S&P handles from it. So why not take a run at that? Yeah. All right. Uh, listen, you know, very confidently in late October, I probably was on the set and said that I think there's a really good chance by the end of the year, the S&P is flat on the year and based on a whole host of different things going on. And, you know, it's interesting how quickly, you know, sentiment can sort of change. And so, yeah, well, we're going to get to 4,800. Have at it, people. Right. You know what I mean? But I think the higher we go into the year end, it might be the harder we fall next year. Let's go around the uh, uh, interesting thought around the horn for some final trades. Carter, you lead it off. Well, two years later, the market is unchanged. But guess what's up 11 percent? Gold. Gold still. Be long. Be gold. Be, be, be gold. Be gone. Be, be gold. Karen. Yes. Uh, XPI. Yesterday IBB. Today XPI. All righty. And uh, Dan? Yeah, I found you? Carter's semi-call really interesting. I'd probably play laggards, maybe like the Texas Instruments, like I mentioned, or Global Founders. Global Founders. Our guy CNBC is a big family. Within it, we have a Fast Money family. Bree Doyle's been with us for 13 years. I think Fast Money, seven of those years. She is leaving us at the end of this week. We wish her nothing but the best. She's been an incredible team member. She's going on to much greener pastures. (laughs) She's the final trade right there. That and Agnico Eagle Mines and the fact that you continue to be just a stud. Oh, Oh, there it it is. Always brings me a nice little drink here when I get here. Congratulations. Way to go. Fantastic job. We will miss miss you. you. Thanks for watching Fast Money, everybody. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.